Deuteronomy chapter 4, let's turn there please. Before we start, please let's pray. My mind's a little jumbled from everybody talking to me and all that. I've got to be still and know that He's God, right? So let's do that. Father, thank You that uh, You give us life abundantly. Father, You've given Your Word, and while not all of it is, uh, is um, to us, it is for us, Lord, to know You, to grow in our understanding. So I pray, God, You bless our time, that Your Spirit would illuminate the text to our understanding. Lord, help us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How you view God is paramount. I cannot say it enough. In order to live right, we have to think right. And thinking right starts by thinking right about who God is. It happens no other way. I, I, I love reading A.W. Tozer. I don't like the Lordship Salvation stuff he promotes, but man, he says something profound. He says, if you look at the sin in our lives, you can trace all of it back to one common point. We have somewhere thought wrong about God. Let's take one of his attributes real quick because we're going to deal with something here that, that I'll be honest with you, we don't like to read, but it's in there. Okay? But let's think about the idea of his omnipresence. Which means what? Somebody tell me because I don't know. He's always present. Omni meaning all the time. Present being here. Right? He is all the time here. Now how many people sin this week? How many people sin this week willingly, not by mistake? See, we don't believe in the omnipresence of God. You see how that works? Because if we truly grasped the nature of the omnipresence of God, we would realize that while we're sleeping, He's there. And while we're awake, He is there. What did David say? If I ascend up to the heavens, you're there. If I lay myself down in the grave, you are there. God, I can't get away from you. You are all the time, all the time, is the idea. Now, if we truly, really believed that God was all the time, all the time, and let's not just look at it from a negative perspective. It's not just that we wouldn't sin as much kind of idea, but think about how much confidence we would have in just walking in daily life. God is all the time, all the time. Everybody see how right thinking about God can really change the way that you live and make decisions. It really influences a lot. Everybody see that? Am I, am I crazy? Okay, good. So, take a look here in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. And let me give you just a quick running into what we're looking at. This is the second generation of Israel out of the Exodus. The first generation died because of unbelief. They were commanded to cross over and go and conquer the land and take it as God had commanded. And they were that was going to be their inheritance. They were going to dwell there. They obey God. God provides for them, takes care of them. Done deal. They said no. They let fear rule their existence. And because of that, God judged them. God disciplined them. They died in the wilderness, and now their sons and daughters, the next generation, is getting ready to inherit. So Moses has been standing before them and recalling the recent history of their existence in order to get their minds prepped that you're going to cross over the Jordan, and you're going to go into this land, and you're going to take it because God is fighting for you. And God is using you as an instrument of judgment against these people. And this land has been rightfully yours, claimed in a promise given to Abraham. 
years and years ago. Now, any questions about that before we get started? Okay. So the idea here is keep the law at all costs. Don't fall back into idolatry as what was ingrained and influenced upon you as Egypt. And so look at verse 23. So watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God. And we have to ask ourselves, which covenant is he talking about? Notice, which he made with you and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God, Yahweh your Elohim, has commanded you. The covenant that he's talking about is the Mosaic covenant. The covenant that takes place that they agreed to in chapter 19 of Exodus, and then was unfolded for them in chapter 20 of Exodus. Everybody remember we talked about that two weeks ago during Sunday worship, yes? Okay, good. Now remember, out of all the covenants in the Bible, the Mosaic Covenant is the only contract that God has made that is conditional in nature. Some people call it an if-then covenant. If you will obey me, then I will provide for you and protect you and set you up and keep you in the land. It's conditional. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. It's a scratch covenant. We call it that. How's that? Does that make it easier? It's not like the Abrahamic covenant where he promised all this stuff to Abraham and was pretty much saying, regardless if you fail, I don't even need your hand to shake for this to happen. I'm just telling you, I swear by my name it will be done. So that is an unconditional covenant because it all rests upon God's faithfulness. So the condition that we're dealing with here is the idea of don't make an idol. It will lead you away from Yahweh. Watch yourselves. Now everybody see where it says, verse 23, watch yourselves. Now that we're starting to get more well-versed in inclusios, we can back up some and find in verse 15 of the same chapter, so watch yourselves carefully. Now remember, with an inclusio in play, that tells you that everything from verse 15 all the way to verse 23 forms a unit of thought that is meant to draw your attention. This is a unit of thought that they want you to get. Are there any questions about inclusios before we move forward? How many people are not attending the hermeneutics class because of learning about inclusios and all of that? Come on, girl. I'll do anything it takes to get you there. Anything it takes. Understand this. Dealing with inclusios and, and stuff like that, that is only a small, tiny fraction of what we're going to be looking at there. That'll, that'll last maybe one, maybe two lessons. It's not a lot. It's just addressing it so you know what to look for and training your eye to do so. That's all that is. But notice, the whole idea of watch yourself, because of everything that's happened, because of how God has proved himself to be faithful, because he is going leaps and bounds showing you that you don't need anything else but him, watch yourself. Now why does he say watch yourself there in light of all that? I mean, the, the risk is they're going to make an idol, but why? Why does he say watch yourself? Where's the problem in this situation? God? No, it's us. It's sin. The propensity is, if anybody's going to get anything wrong in this situation, it's me. I'm the one thing that's going to go wrong. Now, notice that the Bible is not like a self-help class for everybody, right? But what it is, is it's very clear about sin and it's very clear about your need. So look at verse 24. For, here's the explanation. Yahweh, your Elohim, is a consuming 
fire, a jealous God, a jealous Elohim. Now, if you remember back to the law, Exodus 20, when it's first given, the Ten Commandments, the idea of him being a jealous God is brought up. Does everybody remember that? Okay. But also, look back at verse 20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession as today. Or what we might say in the situation is, You've got Egypt as a furnace on one side, and you've got Yahweh as a consuming fire on the other side. How do you avoid falling into that pitfall as a nation, or how do you avoid going under the discipline of the Lord on the other side? You just keep the law. You watch yourself. You keep humble about the idea. Now, are they keeping the law to be accepted by God? Good trivia question. No. They're keeping the law. Why? What does it do? Hushed tones went over the room. What is it? Somebody say it out loud. What? Fellowship. It is about fellowshipping with the Creator. And remember this. Everybody do me a favor. Look back at verses 6 and six through 8. Notice what he says. Moses tells them, So keep and do them. Okay? For, here's the explanation. There's your causal conjunction. That is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. There it is. Your fellowship with God. And here's the interesting thing. That application really isn't any different from us. When we obey God, we radiate a life that is different that automatically serves as a witness and a testimony to people. Why are you handling this situation of calamity so much different than somebody else? Well, because you got confidence. Because I've got the word to camp out on. Because I've got hope because of the promises that God has given me in Jesus Christ. Because if everything I own ends up in a dump somewhere, it doesn't change the fact that Christ is still my Savior. You can't take it away. See, that's the importance of understanding why the Bible is true. Because it's unshakable truth. If the Bible's not true, we don't have anything to rest on. We're all in trouble. We should probably all just go home. So it's important to grasp that. Notice, it serves as a testimony in the obedience. Now, everybody see the idea in verse 24 of, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. We kind of camped out on this, and I'll be honest with you, I'm so exhausted last week, I, whatever, okay, it was terrible, hopefully Mitch cut it, don't remember anything I said, okay? But, here's something that I do want you to see. Turn over if you will, let me see here, did I write it down? I did write it down. Chapter 9. Verse 3. And I'll go ahead and tell you this. Everybody just amuse me for a second. Hermeneutically speaking. Okay? What do I mean when I say that? By means of seeking to have a proper interpretation of what I'm looking at when I come across something as a consuming fire to describe God. Okay? I am able to find the exact same author that God is using. And the exact same book that has this flow of thought using the exact same term in order to unfold a greater understanding of what I need to know about God being a consuming fire. So my interpretation is much more consistent because of all those factors in play. Does that make sense? 
I am, or if you were in, uh, anybody have SQRRR when they were in like third grade? Anybody have that? Nobody? Survey question, read, recite, review? I was a master at that. Nobody? Okay, great. Uh, dude, that's the only good thing I ever scored grade-wise in school. Everything else was D's and C's. It was awful. But that, I got an A in, okay? The whole idea is paying attention to the context, looking at the greater context, the context of the chapter, the context of the book. You can actually look at it like it's a concentric circle. Start with the word, start with the sentence, start with the paragraph, start with the thought, start with the chapter, start with the book, start with the testament, start with the whole Bible, and you research it from the middle out. Does that make sense? Okay, so if we're remaining consistent in the book, same author, same word used, everything. Everybody look at chapter 9, verse 3. Know therefore, and again, we can back up chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 and get the therefore, but stick with me here because that's not our concern. Know therefore today, that it is Yahweh your Elohim who is crossing over before you, how? As a consuming fire. He will destroy them and He will subdue them before you so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly just as Yahweh has spoken to you. In other words, if we want to be consistent in the text, there's where we get our idea of God Yahweh being a consuming fire. It's the idea that he goes in and begins overthrowing and destroying people. Now everybody understand why that's a hard concept to grasp. It becomes very personal real quick. We're like, oh, well, I don't like thinking that way about God. That's okay. It doesn't change who he is. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not, it's not for us to manipulate how we view about God to our thinking. It's for us to sit here and ask the question, God, am I thinking about you correctly and sometimes there are some things about God in certain time periods no I don't like to think about it I don't like to think about the idea that there's an entire group of people in the land of Canaan who experienced genocide at the hands of Israel by the command of God so the question is is how do you get okay with that well here's how I get okay with it number one God like we saw earlier who knows the heart right knows the spiritual condition of the people in that land and obviously God judged them because of their persistent sin. And he probably didn't judge them apart from some sort of revelation of himself, which they obviously rejected. And he considered them unredeemable at that point. Now notice, we don't corrupt the character of God. We take into the fact that he is omniscient, omnipresent, right? Omnipotent. He's all-powerful in the whole thing. We take the basic attributes of God that we know. And here's the question. Out of everything that makes total sense to us in the Bible, is he batting a thousand so far? Is God perfect in all of his ways and works? So is this one incident any reason to doubt his judgment? No. Everybody see that? Taking what doesn't make sense in the Bible and falling back on what we do know makes sense and then using that in light to interpret forward is the idea. This is all stuff we would talk about in hermeneutics. Yes, Catherine. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. 
Yes, one, and along with that, one thing that really helps that idea is you have to remember, before it was ever a physical war on earth, it started as a spiritual war in the unseen. It's the idea of demons rising up against the righteous rule of God and saying, we're not going to fall in line with that. And this is him essentially saying, I am your creator. You do not have a say-so. You are subservient to me, and you obey me as all the human race is held culpable for their actions. So it starts in that situation, spiritually speaking, before it ever does physically. Now, I know this probably unsettles you a little bit, but when we think about, when we come back and think of the basic brass tacks, who is God? How does he reveal himself to be? It's a lot easier to work our way forward into understanding this. Are there any questions about that before we go back to four? Everybody good? Okay. So let's go back to four. So notice... Watch yourselves. Don't forget the agreement that God made with you. Don't turn to make a graven image in the form of anything against Him. Because God, Yahweh, is a consuming fire. Because God has no problem overthrowing you even though you're His special people. In fact, I think they'd be asking for it a little bit more because of how well they know their dad. Right? Let me ask you a question. You ever seen somebody who's not your kid... And I'm not going to ask Ron to this because you guys' kids don't ever do anything wrong. But have you, ever, have you ever seen somebody whose kid did something wrong? You thought, boy, if I was a kid's parent, I'd whip his butt. Right? You ever thought that? You're usually in Toys R Us when that goes down, aren't you? You know, Beth knows what I'm talking about. So we're, we're traveling around, we see something, you know, go, oh gosh, I can't believe she talked to her like that. That kind of thing, right? You do that. But what happens when your kid talks to you the same way? Oh, it's, it's, it's light-up time, isn't it? It's time for fireworks and stars. Because your personal investment in your child and the responsibility put in your placement mandates that you've got to do something in response to the disobedience. Otherwise, Scripture's clear. If there's no discipline involved, your child is considered illegitimate. Everybody with me? Hebrews 12? He doesn't do it that way. <laughs> Amening dis di discipline. I love it. Okay, great. Jim's getting ready to get saved. All right. So if that's the case, how much more because of the revelation and special relationship that God has with Israel is there heightened accountability before him? It's futile to want to carve something out of stone and bow down and worship it and bring sacrifices, especially getting to the point that they did later with the major and minor prophets of sacrificing their children to false gods when they have the almighty creator of all things who gives them all things. It's nuts. So, verse 25. When you become a father of children and children's children and remain long in the land. Now notice that. Have remained how? Long in the land. Anybody ever sat down on a comfy couch and after a while you're like, I don't care if I ever move again. Right? Let me give you another example. Church I pastored before this. We started out as a mobile church. We rented out a storage unit, and we kept all of our speakers, instruments, everything in there. And we would go, we, we had church at 4 o'clock on Sunday, we would show up there at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, load up a couple of trucks, transport everything to where we were going to worship that time, set everything up, have worship, tear everything down, put it all away, that was our Sunday. 
Now, had to have a lot of volunteers, a lot of people jazzed about it, excited. Everybody knew what the responsibility was. Here's what I'm going to do. That person's going to be sick. We need somebody to cover that base. It was like a well-mapped-out strategic plan. But when we got a building, and we brought in some cushy chairs of our own, woo, buddy, right? All of a sudden, everybody had lazy boys. And everybody turned into lazy boys. You started to notice that the spirit of volunteerism started to go down. When you've been long in the land, when you've gotten complacent, and this is just how we do life now. And Oh, and it's so great. Notice this. And act how? Corruptly. And what does that look like? Well, he's referring back to what he talked about in verse 23. Act corruptly and you make an idol in the form of anything. Notice, the problem is the form, remember? Remember when Yahweh spoke to you audibly from the mountain? You didn't see a form. Remember that, Israel? You didn't see a form. So when you get used to being in the land that God graciously gave you, and you're all comfortable and you kick back your feet, and you decide you're going to make you an idol out of some form, know that we've got a problem because you stopped relying on the revelation of the audible voice of God that commanded you according to obedience. The form of anything. And you do that which is evil in the sight of Yahweh your Elohim, so as to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. In other words, it's your land because God gave you your land. But he will also remove you from that land, if need be, because of your disobedience. The keeping of the law keeps them in the land. It says here, you shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. You will be made unusable, is how that can be translated. You will no longer be of use to him in accomplishing his purposes. Why? Because if you're not keeping the law and you're bowing down to an idol that you've made, well, everybody else is doing that. So there's nothing that exemplifies the fame and the glory and the greatness of Yahweh, the creator of all things, in order to make the nations pay attention to them and draw their attention so that they would be saved, so they would realize what it looks like for a society to have intimacy with God. Does everybody see how that works? Yes? No? Who's asleep? Okay, so make sure. Respond to me, guys. I have self-esteem on the line. So notice, verse 26. Verse 26. Thank you. <laughs> Way to go, Pastor. Um, so notice, I call heaven and earth to witness. Here's what's interesting about this. There's a command that's actually given in the Scriptures. We're going to see it later on in Deuteronomy 17 when we get there in six years. And what you find is, is that there needs to be at least two witnesses in order to verify something. At least two witnesses. Do me a favor. Put your finger here real quick. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 5. That seems to be a pattern that does not change in the life of the mindset of the New Testament Christian either. 1 Timothy 5, 19. I tell you what this verse does, being an instruction to the leadership in the church, is it cuts down on a lot of gossip or backbiting that has the potential to raise its head. 1 Timothy 5, verse 19, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. You need to have at least two people there to verify what's going on. At least two. 
Now, turn back to Deuteronomy. Look at chapter 17. Turn over to 17 real quick so we can see it. Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. Chapter 17, verse 6 of Deuteronomy. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. One's not enough. You need at least two. By Moses calling heaven and earth in to serve as witnesses to what he is getting ready to tell them. It's very interesting because this is something that is known in Scripture as a rib pattern rib is what it's known it's also a literary means of communicating like we talked about the suzerain vassal treaty of how this is set up well this is a pattern of invoking some sort of legal declaration or a charge against something is the idea of what it means and the first thing that you have to do before you can establish any charge against a person is you have witnesses that are on hand in order to testify to this truth and so notice, if you want to research it, you can sometime on the internet. R-I-B, rib pattern is what it's called. Rib pattern in scripture. It's worth a Google, right? It's a good way to put it. So notice what he says here. I call, verse 26, heaven and earth to witness against you today that you shall surely perish quickly. This will be the consequences of your willful sin and straying from the relationship with Yahweh. You will perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it as your inheritance. You shall not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. You'll be rendered useless in Yahweh's hands. He says here, verse 27, Yahweh will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number. Notice that. When he talks about them being destroyed, he's not talking about that he wipes them out completely. To do that, would break the promise of God to Abraham. There will always be a remnant around, all the time. But notice, you're going to be scattered because of your idolatry and disobedience to God. That's how he will judge you, judge the Jews. He says here, you will be few in number among the nations where Yahweh drives you. Now stop for just a second. What was the condition of the Jews before 1948? Were they scattered? In fact, some of us could probably identify from our travels or maybe where we grew up younger, pockets of where Jewish populations have flourished in America, yes? Yeah. Isn't that interesting that God has completely fulfilled what he said he would do? You get your eyes off of me, you start putting them on other things, and you exalt them above me, I will scatter you. I will send you out of the land. Now here's the thing, does God have the power to bring them back? Obviously so, and they're in the land right now largely in unbelief. Let me ask you this. This is a good question. Does Yahweh have the, the power to scatter them again? He does. Notice that. Very interesting. We're not waiting on anything else in prophecy to happen before the rapture takes place and the tribulation goes forward. But right now, Israel is largely in unbelief. And according to my reading of Scripture, it seems that they will be largely in unbelief when the rapture takes place. They don't have to be believing in order for the rapture to happen. The 144,000 get saved after the rapture, not before it. So that's important to research and think about. At any moment, he could call us up. Done. It's over. He could do that. But also, he's in no hurry. Why is he in no hurry? Does anybody know? Why is he in no hurry to bring the end? 
He wants everybody to hear the word. He's not slow like we think people are slow, right? When you're out in your car waiting for your wife in Walmart. He's not slow as some count slowness. Baby, that's never you. I'm talking about other people's wives. <laughs> I will not be taking any questions after this. <laughs> but, 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 but I mean, seriously, you know, he's not slow as how we try to measure things being slow. But his whole thing is he don't want people to die. That's how compassionate he is. He's not wanting anybody to die. He wants to give everybody a chance. Hear the word. Believe the word. That's his whole motive. He doesn't want to bring that on. But notice here, he also won't compromise his justice in the situation, even with his chosen children. Laverne. Yes. Yes, and that's where you're probably going to find mainly your more who are striving more to be Hebraic speakers, uh, your, your Midrashic Jews, those kind of people, uh, Hasidic Jews are going to be the people uh, who are going to be more along those lines. Uh, but here's one thing that you notice if you talk to Jewish people, and some of the Jewish people that I've talked to who are not believers in Christ, they more identify being Jewish uh, like you would identify being Scandinavian or German or French or whatever that is. It's not really about the call of Yahweh on their life. They've separated it from that, and that's just more of like an ethnic profile to fill out for a survey is how they view it. So they've, they've separated themselves from those promises. And to me, that's a tragic thing because when he talks about when you have children and your children's children, make sure that you're promising them and tell them about this event. The whole reason why the feasts for Israel were instituted is he says, when your child comes to you and says pretty much, Dad, why are we doing this? Here's a reason why. Because there was a day when we were in bondage to Egypt and the Lord stepped in and he set us free. So let's talk about that. It was meant to be a life lesson that was passed down. So yeah, the problem is, is, is they failed in their obedience to this. And their children's children's children, this generation is largely ignorant of the whole idea of the Almighty Creator who has a special agreement with them, who loves them and has chosen them for a purpose. So yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a traumatic thing, but it still doesn't change the fact that they're God's people. Does that mean, does that mean everybody that's Israel goes to heaven when they die? No. Why? Because the problem is, is belief or unbelief. God's really clear about that. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 33, it's real clear. The problem is they didn't believe. The problem is they tried to keep the law as a means of acceptance instead of believing in their Messiah that makes them accepted. Everybody see that? Okay, good. So just a few more minutes here. Let's finish this up. So notice here, he will, he will scatter you. You'll be few in number. He'll scatter you throughout the nations. But notice how ironic this is in verse 28. There, in the other nations where you're scattered, there you will serve gods. Now pause for a second. What got them scattered out of the land? Serving other gods. And so now, them serving gods and sinning in the land has caused them to be dispersed out of the land into other lands and there they are going to be brought into the discipline of Yahweh in serving other gods in other lands. Does everybody see how it's just really good not to serve another god? Everybody see that? You are serving gods in the land that I was blessing you with, but now that you've tainted the land, I'm going to remove you from the land for its cleansing. And if you want to worship these gods, I'll make sure that you worship them wherever I send you out to be. And that's no different. And here's the reason why. is because Judaism is a religion. That's important. Don't let that word mess you up thinking that we're all part of a religion kind of thing. Christianity is not a religion. 
Faith alone and Christ alone is not a religion. It's a relationship is what it is. A religion tells you you need to do this and this and this so God will accept you. That's legalism. That's law keeping. The relationship with Jesus says I've done it all for you and that's why you are accepted. Now believe. That's the difference. So don't ever fall into this trap of yay religion. Woo yeah freedom of religion. Don't fall into that junk. That's not what it is. Because then it pigeonholes Christianity to be a works-based salvation like everything else that everybody believes is. And that is wrong. That's exactly where Satan would want us. i never forget, I was at the hospital one time and this guy was being taken back from surgery and the surgeon was a Muslim. And the lady that I was with there said, oh, well, we're just, we're just praying to the Lord Jesus that he'll be okay. And, and the Muslim turned around and looked at her and said, well, that's okay because we all worship the same God. And he, and he walked behind the, the doors and closed it. Now, any Muslim that is worth their weight doesn't believe that we serve the same God because there's too much distinction. And any Christian that knows their Bible would realize, no, we don't. Why? Because Islam is a religion. That's the reason why. Because Judaism is a religion. Because only faith in Christ establishes the relationship of all works being done for you, no works that you bring to the table. It's important to understand that distinction. So notice here, verse 28, there you will serve gods, the work of man's hands, Wood and stone, which neither see, sorry, sometimes I speak in tongues, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But from there, from that destitute point, you will seek Yahweh your Elohim, and you will find him if you search for him with all of your heart and all your soul. When you are in distress, and all these things have come upon you. Now don't miss it, because he tells you when. In the what? In the latter days. Anybody think that's got some sort of prophetic significance attached to it? Notice that. In the latter days, when this happens, you will return to the Yahweh your Elohim, and don't miss it. Do what? Obey. Whose, whose translation says obey? What is it? Is that the nearly inspired version? New King James. Whoa, King Jimmy. Whew. What's it say? It says obey? Notice what it says. Sorry. Everybody notice from God's translation what it says. I'm just kidding. And listen to his voice. It's very interesting that the ESV translates it that way because the ESV and the New American Standard are from the same manuscripts that they use to come up with the translation. It's very interesting. But don't miss what's trying to be communicated there. The, the, the word probably is not obey. The idea is, is listening to his voice. What was the whole thing that Moses is pushing for in this section about idolatry and making idols? And what was the problem? Anybody remember? Don't what? There was no form. Think back to when Yahweh audibly spoke to you in that moment. And when He spoke to you, He didn't say, and worship this form as a proper, solidified representation of me. No. He said, that is what pagans do. Stay away from that stuff. Heed my word. Rest on my word is the idea. Notice, 
when you get fat and happy and comfortable in the land and you kick back and start worshiping idols and doing all this stuff, I will scatter you as a means of discipline and you will find yourself worshiping idols in other countries. And when that happens, it will get so bad that you will finally come to your senses and you will cry out to me and I will rescue you from that and I will bring you back and you will once again listen to my word. It's always about the word. It is always about the Word. You cannot get away from it if you go through the Old Testament. Everybody thinks, oh, it's all about the law written on stones. No, no, it's always about His Word being set forward. Those stones were never meant to be worshipped. Aaron's rod was never meant to be worshipped. The Ark of the Covenant was never meant to be worshipped. None of that stuff. It was always about what has God said. That's what they will come back to. So notice, you will listen to His Word voice just like he did in exodus 20 verse 31 here's a reason why for yahweh your elohim is a compassionate god he will not fail you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant the contract the agreement with your fathers and notice there with your fathers he's talking about the abrahamic covenant the unconditional one with your fathers which He swore to them. God is a faithful and compassionate God. His faithfulness, His compassion, does not negate the need for for sin to be brought to justice. Just because you love your kids doesn't mean you're being more loving because you don't spank them when they do something wrong. Does that make sense? You still have to discipline. In fact, you discipline because you love them. Because you don't want them to repeat these same mistakes over and over and over again. God is the perfect model of an incredibly long-suffering, amazing Father. In doing that, He knows, and let's just take an application from Israel and put it on ourselves today. We can get real complacent in the church. We can get real fat and happy and a little sassy in the church. We can just think, oh, I just love coming here and just doing my hallelujah to the Lord and just going home. That is not the body of Christ. That's not. That body of Christ needs to join anytime fitness or something. Right? Because it's not active. It's become complacent. And here's the thing. When you get complacent about obeying God, you get complacent in how you think about God. You get complacent about the doctrine of God. You get complacent about reading the Word. You get complacent about taking time out of your day to pray. Why? Because prayer and reading the Word and all those things are disciplines that will cost you other things you would normally be doing to step outside of that and to cultivate your relationship with the Almighty. It's decisions that have to be made. When we get complacent, fat, happy, sometimes God brings things to shake us up to get our attention again and say, don't be that way. I saved you for so much greater than what you're settling for. It's very important. The body was meant to be active. The whole description of the body of Christ is meant to be one that can run the race in such a way as to win the prize. Very important. So here's a question to ask ourselves. As a church, are we winning? That's got implications all around it, doesn't it? But as a church, are we going to win? I think that's what we need to ask ourselves. We know a lot about the Word. Are we doing the Word? Are we loving others as ourselves? Are we loving our neighbors and in that way so fulfilling the law? Don't even have to keep it. We just got to love people. We love people. Why? Jesus loved us. 
You will prove to be disciples. How? Loving other people, how he's loved us. Very simple. Very simple. Hard to do. That's why we need that prayer and Bible study, man. That's why we need that. That's why that relationship with the Lord has got to be right on before we can seek to be right on with anybody else. Any thoughts, comments, questions before we wrap it up? Okay. What do they mean by religion? They mean that if you will do a number of things they give you to do, that's how you'll be accepted by God. The way that Christianity is different is Christianity's message is Jesus has done all of these things for you so that you can be accepted. All he asks is that you believe. So that's what makes it different. In fact, an interesting story, and then we'll pray and finish. In one of the meeting rooms in Oxford back in the 40s or 50s, smoke is billowing out of one of the rooms. Guys are sitting around smoking their cigarettes and their cigars, and all these professors are having this deep discussion. And they're talking about the religions of the world, and they're talking about all the different tenets and the things that they like and the things that they don't like and the things they don't seem to make sense and how does that equal up and why does that matter and how's it going to change your life and they're bringing in all kinds of ideas to the table and all of a sudden c.s lewis comes walking by with a cigarette in his mouth and they they called him jack if you know anything about c.s lewis's life he always went by jack and they said hey jack come in here so he walked in I guess everybody just teachers smoke on their break, I guess. Uh, that's one thing that characterized this story. But he walks in. And they said, you're a Christian? What makes what you believe any better than anything else that we're talking about right now? And he said, that's easy, grace. And he put his cigarette back in his mouth and he walked out of the room. Only took him a second to say, here's what's different. Here's what's different. The difference is, is that God doesn't have to save you. But he provided everything to save you so that you can be saved. Everyone else says, no, save yourself if you can. He saw it as clear as day. Some of the smartest minds probably in the world at the time sitting in that room. And he walks by and simply lets them know, if you want to know an answer, the answer is grace. It's all about what Jesus has done, not what we do. So let's pray. Thank you, God, for what Jesus has done not about what we do. Thank you, Lord, for this example here when Moses is trying to encourage obedience from Israel so that you will be maximally glorified in how they live, how they speak, what they're setting their hopes on, and best of all, how they are representing you in their culture. Father, keep us from idols. Let us not be fooled that we don't worship things of stone or wood. Somehow that's all an idol can be. But Father, that we would watch ourselves. That we would not be disciplined by our amazing Father in heaven. But that we would walk continually in fellowship with You. At peace with You. So that we could best serve You. Lord, thank You for this day. Please bless it. Prayed in Jesus' name, amen.